And yes, yes, we're into the fourth week of this series, this undiluted series, and we're going deeper in the book of James. And it's been challenging, hasn't it? It's challenging as someone who prepares sermons and who is into this book looking at where it relates to life and faith. It's challenging to think, I've got to preach this. It's so direct and so to the point and it doesn't change in this fourth week and the the fourth chapter of James and I've been thinking I've been thinking of some modifications to this visual over here and you need to go with me with this I don't know if it's coming to any of your minds but some modifications here we go we've got the first one here yeah No. (laughs) You'll get it with this. Remember the film? Yeah. (laughs) No. (laughs) And then with this, the final modification... Was anyone else thinking that? Just, just me then? Just me? So yeah, that isn't, that isn't just me being abstract in, in my thinking and when I look at a, a visual, what, what comes to mind? There's something more in that. Jaws, Jaws. James. James has got teeth, hasn't he? That, that book, that book of James, it's got teeth. It causes us to, to chew over to chew over our faith and our, our following of, of Jesus, to, to, to chew over our culture, what surrounds us. And the teaching here, the teaching here, it bites back. Sometimes it cuts deep into our lives. And even, even with Jaws, just, just pushing it further, Jaws, the original. How many of you here have seen and remember Jaws, the original? Yeah, yeah. There may be some of a younger generation who haven't had that experience yet. Just forget about the special effects, the rubber shark. Just forget about all of that and just go with the storyline. It gets you on the edge of your seat. The music, the music when the sharks come in, the dirt dirt You want to do it, don't you? You just want to do it with me. No? Well, it gets you on the edge of your seat. That's the original, that's the undiluted version of Jaws. And then followed, followed that with Jaws 2. And it starts to go down and Jaws 3. And then Jaws the Revenge, which is just an awful, awful film. That has moved so far away from the original that you can hardly recognise it. And thinking about that. Thinking about that, thinking about the, the book of Jaws or the book of James. That is undiluted. That is the original. And undiluted faith is the only faith that works. Anything other than that, anything that's watered down. Faith that is only religion. Actually, when you see it, when this world sees it, faith that is only religion, you think it's ruined. What's this all about? It's unrecognisable from the original. 
And we're reading through the, the book of James. We're going through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we're into chapter 4 now. And there's no let up in this teaching. And we get started with a, a question, a question that's got some teeth. James 4 verse 1 says this. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And you're thinking, no, no, not here, not here in the church. Fights and quarrels. And what's so engaging about reading the book of James, what's so engaging about the way he writes is that this is conversational teaching. It's conversational. It is as if James is is sitting there opposite you, asking you these questions. And we don't just read it through. We don't just read through the book of James, but we enter into the conversation. It's not just monologue, but dialogue where we get involved. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Desires that battle within. Desires that battle within me. Really, desires. What are those going to be in me? Jealousy? Because I think I deserve something. Pride? Is that in me? And he goes on like this, back and forth. James, the writer, and me having this conversation, trying to get to the root, trying to get to the the cause of this. You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. Now, that's strong, isn't it? That's undiluted. It can't be me, can it? It can't be me killing and, and coveting, not me damaging people, damaging lives. But then again, could it? Sometimes, sometimes there are things that I want and I'm sure sometimes I don't go about it the the right way. How do I approach this at home with Rach, my wife? How do I approach this with my children, Emily and Jay? How do I approach this at work with things that I want with my work colleagues, with volunteers? And even are these the things that I want, the things that I want, are these the things that God would want me to want? Is it my will that I'm going after or is it God's will? This is how I read it. This is how I enter into the, the conversation of the, of the book of James. I see James, the writer, sitting opposite me, asking me the questions. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Now we're getting to the root of it. Now we're getting to the cause because God has made an appearance in the, in the conversation. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So there are wrong motives at work here. And it's about me. It's about me, my pleasures, rather than it being about God. Now what James isn't saying here is is don't enjoy life. He isn't saying that God gives us life. We should live it to the full. There's nothing wrong with pleasure as long as God would desire it for us. And sometimes we need to experience more of it. Funnily enough, I decided some time ago that aging is inevitable. It's going to happen to all of us. And if I'm going to get lines on my face, not bags under my eyes, that that is something that's a family trait, but lines on my face, I'm responsible for those. I want those lines to be lines of smiling, lines of being happy and not of frowning and being sad. 
But the difference here, the difference here in what James is saying is about our motives. That we want these pleasures for ourselves. It's only about our agenda and not God's agenda. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now this is where I want to open this out and, and pull an illustration through from life. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but we like the word yes. We like that word, don't we? Yes. It's a, a positive, it's a, a, an encouraging word, it's an open word. We like to say yes, we like to make people happy by saying yes in response to them. And we like to hear yes. When, when someone responds to us and says yes to us, it often means that something's going to happen and we like that word, yes. And if I think back and imagine the scene with me, we're on a beach, me and Rach are on a beach, Redcar Beach in the northeast. I don't know if you've been there. Not the most romantic of settings, Redcar Beach, especially in autumn. So you've got the North Sea there and it's grey. I think maybe it's always grey on Redcar Beach. And then far off in the background you've got the chemical processing plant. <laughs> Any advice on romantic settings then just talk to me. So we're on the beach and we're walking along the beach holding hands. I just remember it being very, very empty and we're there and I'm thinking, ask the question. Do it now, do it now, ask the question. Everything's in place, ask the question. So, I go down on one knee on Red Car Beach and look up at Rach and I ask the question, will you marry me? No, no is not the answer that I want to hear at that point. A bleak scene would get somehow bleaker. And it wasn't no, it was yes, relief. And in saying yes there, Rach was saying yes to me and, and no to every other man who had an intention in that direction. And I don't think, I don't think we always get that in our faith, in our following of Jesus. If we relate that, what James does here is make this decision, this decision to follow Jesus, he makes it black and white, yes and no, one or the other. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Friendship with the world, saying yes to the world, he's saying no, no to God. It becomes about our agenda and not God's agenda. And what James does here is give us a shot of clarity that we so need. And that goes against, against our culture, against the, the world that we live in, which suggests something different. See, what I hear when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm seeing the media and the advertising and what gets promoted is that we can say multiple yeses, multiple yeses. We can fill our lives with yeses. Whether that's multiple yeses to, to relationships, multiple yeses to spiritual experiences, multiple yeses to whatever that is, but there isn't any no's. 
And when we come to faith, when we come to, to following Jesus with that same attitude, that attitude of being able to say multiple yeses, then something has to change. See, when we say yes to Jesus, then we have to also start saying no to anything that is opposed, opposed to God, opposed to the Bible, opposed to the truth on which our lives are now founded. And with James here in in, in these verses and with what follows, he is challenging us to say yes to God and to say no to anything that opposes God in our lives and in our world. He's calling us to, to move our agenda to God's agenda. And that doesn't happen overnight. But it is what God is calling out of us. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now this is important. What James does here. He is writing scripture and he's using scripture to write it. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Back in the, in the Old Testament, there was a, a variation on this teaching. It comes in Psalm 138, verse 6, and it says this, Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. And then again in Proverbs 3, verse 34, it says, He, God, God, mocks proud mockers but gives grace to the humble and then on again with Jesus as he was walking the earth and and teaching in Matthew 23 verse 12 it says for whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted backed like that with, with three more scriptures you can be sure that this is an essential truth. This is constantly on God's mind. We need to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves before God. And from my experience with pride, sometimes it's easier to see if somebody's an extrovert and, and if they're really loud. It's easier to see. But for someone like me, who's more of a an introvert, it can still be there. It's just that people can't see it so easily. And pride can rise up in all of us at any time. We've never fully dealt with it. And scripture tells us over and over again to humble ourselves before God. Because God gives us grace. He gives us grace. Grace to say yes to him and no to all that would oppose him. Grace to to move our agenda to to God's agenda. Grace to to deal with pride and to humble ourselves before him. And now, and now we get to what for me, what for me is the the cornerstone of all that is built around it. It comes in verse 7 and it says this, submit yourselves then to God. Submit yourselves. Submit. Submission. If we want all of what has gone before, what's been taught before, if you want all of what's going to follow, what's now going to be taught, then an undiluted faith requires us to submit to God. But it isn't easy, is it? 
We don't like the word submission. I don't know if you've experienced this yourself when you were back at school. It seems an increasingly long time ago for me being at school. But I did experience this. And there was a game. It was called Mercy. Anyone remember that game of Mercy? I'll explain it to you. So what would happen, and uh, I wasn't good at this, I was more of a a target than someone who targeted other other children. So someone uh, very big, another child who was already shaving and had muscles, would (laughs) grab you from out of nowhere. They'd grab your hands, palm to palm, fingers interlocked. Is it coming back to you yet? And then they would, with all their strength, try and force your hands back, bending your wrists back to the point where you would cry out, mercy. Is it coming back yet? School was great, wasn't it, for for moments like that, where you would end up on the ground with someone a lot bigger than yourself trying to get you to submit. That was the game of mercy. It was all about submission. Going down and giving in to a, a stronger opponent. And maybe when you hear the word submit, submit, that James uses here, you could could possibly see God like that. That There is this cosmic game of of mercy going on out there where God is bending our wrists back until we cry mercy and we submit. But that's a wrong understanding of God. That's a, a wrong understanding of how James is using this word here. And thinking this through and listening out for God on this. Something came into, into my mind, maybe again a, a little abstract, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with it because of the negative way, the negative way in which we can hear that word, submission. I want to pull the word submission apart. I want to pull it into two. Pull it into two. Submission, submission, submission. Going on a submission. And I want to I wanna modify this further. I want to take the, the shark off. And we're going to replace it with this. The original yellow submarine from the Beatles. There we go. Going on a submission. Diving down, diving down into the ocean, into the depths with a sub on a mission. A mission to know God more, to go deeper into him. Not Jaws, but a a submarine. And for me, I know that it has only ever been in my life when, when I have submitted, when I've moved my agenda to God's agenda. When I've gone from saying multiple yeses to yes to God. And no to anything that would hinder what he's doing in my life. When I've obeyed him. That I've gone deeper. And submission. To submit to our saviour. Takes us deeper on a mission to knowing him. Submission is agreeing to live the deeper life. Going under the surface. Diving down. And there's a a great line. I, I read it recently. And. That line, it moves with what we're doing here. It dives down into the ocean and it's, it's about lining our lives up. Lining our lives up with God. 
Anne Lamott, she wrote this line. She wrote, the Gulf Stream can pass through a straw if the straw aligns itself with the Gulf Stream. The Gulf Stream can pass through a straw if the straw aligns itself with the Gulf Stream. And I'm sure that that most of you, if not all of you, have that desire for God to flow through your life. And God is big. God is big. I know that sounds obvious, but sometimes we forget. God is big. It is like the ocean. It's like the, the Gulf Stream. And we are these straws, these tiny straws, lining ourselves up with him. And he flows through us. That is submission. Diving down deep and allowing God to pass through us. And I can live with a thought like that for a long time, but there's more to this thought because it is out of love. It's out of love that we do this. Not a a cosmic game of mercy where, where it's between us and God and God is winning because he's so much bigger than us. And where we cry mercy because God, God already went there. He already dealt with this. When Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, God showed us just how far he was prepared to go for us. He submitted himself to humanity, to to the worst of humanity. And it is because of love. Because of God's love for us. And our love for him that we submit, that we go deeper. That is submission. That is the the cornerstone on which everything else is built. And as chapter 4 runs on, there are three aspects to this. Three places in which this gets worked out in our lives. The first, and we've already done a lot on this, is submission to God. The second is submission to, to one another. And the third is submission to this day. Submission to God, submission to one another, submission to this day. And we're going to use these three as, as we go from, from verse 7 through to the finish. And as you listen to the next three verses, you're going to hear truth. Truth that can't be avoided. It's like this. It's truth like this. You do this and that will result. It's like a formula. It's like mathematics that always works out. Try to live any differently from it. And you'll get hurt. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Do this. Resist the devil. And this will result. He will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Do this. Come near to God. And he will come near to you. That will result. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's definitely undiluted. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do this. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and that will result. He will lift you up. That is submission to God. And moving from there, James goes into the the second aspect of submission, which is submission to one another. How we live this out in in a gathering of believers in church. And James says this, says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. 
Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And maybe, and maybe here this is the hardest because it's out in the open, it's seen and it, and it gets personal how we live this out. And judgment, judgment we all do it, don't we? Our ability to, to make judgments keeps us safe, it, it protects us. A car is approaching fast and I'm on the side of the road, should I cross, shouldn't I cross? I make a judgment in that moment about the speed and no, I shouldn't. It happens and it saves my life. Because I don't cross. That's a judgment. But when it comes to people, judgments can be harmful. It can mean that people get isolated, that people get pushed out of community. It can show prejudice. And the judgments that we make about other people often reveal much about ourselves. What's going on inside of us, which sometimes can be unpleasant. So when we look at submission to one another, what do we submit to and I've had that question in my mind for some time trying to work it out and I believe with this that we submit to the work of God in other people's lives we submit to the work of God in other people's lives and what do I mean by that and I I am still thinking this through but this is what I mean God is at work I know that God is at work he's at work in this church he's at work in all of our lives he's at work around us And we are a a community. We're a community. More than that, we're a grace-filled gathering of believers here. And our lives and our conversations are connected together. They're intertwined and interlocking. What I say and do, how I live my life, isn't in isolation. It is in front of you. It's amongst you it affects you it may affect you a lot it may affect you a little and that often depends on on how close you are to me or how loud my voice is or how strong my actions are and we're all like that we're all like that you don't have to be on stage to have a huge effect on one another we are all connected and God is at work in each of us and we're all at different places with this some of us are, are new to this, new into this community and there are, there are mistakes to be made. Even for those who have lived in this community for, for longer, there are still mistakes to be made. There are relational upsets that are going to happen. There are chips on shoulders. There are, are corners to be knocked off. There are lessons to be learned within this gathering. And it is in this constant rub, this deliberate gathering together that we experience grace and forgiveness and that we experience God amongst us and let's not forget if we're if we're further on with this let's not forget how people older and more established in their faith than us how they showed us grace and how they showed us forgiveness as we grew up into this put simply put simply this is where we are discipled this is where we become followers of Jesus here and I don't know if you've realized this but I need you I need every one of you for God to do his best work in me and I want us to recognize that 
So I want us to turn to the person next to us and say to them, I need you for God to do his best work in me. So turn to the person next to you. Don't think it takes that long (laughs) to say, I need you for God to do his best work in me. But that's right. That's that's like a, a truth that for me, and you may have got there before me, but for me, I realized that at a new level as I was looking at this. I need you for God to do his best work in me. And the more I've thought about that, and the more I've thought about the people who have been in my life, who I could name and have caused me to grow closest to God. The more I've thought about that, I'm not going to name them. But if I did, there would be some names on that list who you'd think, yes, I understand that. I'd expect them to be there. I can see their importance and the level at which they spoke. But there'd be other names. Names that you'd look at and you'd think, why on earth are they there? What could they have said or, or done or been to cause me to grow closer to God. But they've been essential to that. And I'm eternally grateful for all of those people who have spoken and moved and caused things to happen in me that have brought me closer to God. And if you look around now and look around at the the people there, you'll see people who have brought you closer to God and you can be eternally grateful to them. And not only that, not only that, the work of God that he does in our lives, that work, that work is expanded out into church, into us as a a grace-filled gathering of believers. We all need one another. We all need one another for God to do his best work through this church, to see the vision that God has given to this church, to see that fully experienced, fully realised, we all need each other. And through all of this, through these connections and interconnections and intertwining of lives, we need to continually check our motives because we should never sit in the place of God. We should never move into the place that only Jesus can be the one love giver, the one judge, and preempt the decisions about the work that he is doing in each of us, deciding who and how and when and how long. Decisions that are only his to make. That is submission to one another. But James, he isn't finished yet. There's one final reality check that he brings at the end of this chapter. And it closes with these words. Now listen, You who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there. Carry on business and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishing. That's encouraging. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. Or such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Submission. Submission to this day, the third aspect. 
this day, today, what is happening right now. Tomorrow, tomorrow that's with God. It's not with us. If it is the Lord's will, it will happen. Whereas today, that comes out of God and me. How much we're in this day together, talking, listening, moving, responding. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that our, our life situation at, at work or in relationships or financially and so on. I'm not saying that that's all that it could be, all that it's meant to be. And I'm not saying don't think about tomorrow, don't have an idea of the future. We need to use our God-given sense to, to, to plan and have purpose about our lives. But this day, today, is where you are now. And I know from personal experience that, that it can be that, that frustration at where we are now can overcome us and we, and we want to be somewhere else. We want to go to this city or, or that city and carry on business and, and, and make money. We want to be doing something else. We could be this, we could be that. Whether we boast about it to others, I don't know about that. But on the inside, on the inside of us, we get frustrated, we get unsettled with ourselves, with who we are or, or what we're doing now. And in our thinking and in our conversations, we can always be into tomorrow, tomorrow. It's all about tomorrow. It's all about the future. And in that, we can be missing what God wants to do in us and through us today, this day. Annie Dillard, she wrote this. She said, how we live our days is how we live our lives. How we live our days is how we live our lives. It is now. It is now that God can flow through us, that straw aligned to him. Submission to this day, it starts the moment that we wake, the first prayer that we pray in a morning. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Tomorrow, tomorrow is with God, whereas today that comes out of God and me. And it's sin. It's sin not to do the good that I ought to do today. Submission here is knowing God in the, in the now moment, in the often mundane and, and daily moments of our lives. And as we live our days like that, our lives become meaningful. Our agenda gets moved on to God's agenda. Our motives are, are checked. Planning and purpose may follow out of that, but it is the Lord's will and not ours. And through that, through that, we will discover for ourselves how to live this day in submission to God. We're at the finish now, and I'm very aware that with this undiluted series, with this teaching, we're at different places. And submission to God, submission to one another, submission to this day, you may need time to, to think that through. That's fine. It may be you can say yes to it straight off, in which case say yes to it, go with it, submit to God. Or it could be that there's little yeses that as we've gone through this, you've been able to say for your life and your desire to know God more. But you're not ready to say a big yes to it in its entirety. And God isn't going to force us, he isn't. This isn't a, a cosmic game of, of mercy, he's already shown us through his son Jesus just how much he loves us and he's loved us into this place where we are today 
And I'd like us to respond to this. I have a, a prayer. It's an old prayer, and I like that about it, the words that it uses. It's written by John Wesley, and it's stood the test of time. And the prayer is about submission, and it's undiluted in what he says. And if the worship team can, can come back just now. We're going to go through this prayer together. And as we say this prayer, it's up to you how you respond. It could be you want to remain where you're sitting. Maybe you want to put your hands out to, to, to show that you want to be in that place with God of submission. It could be you want to stand and raise your arms. It could be. And this is where for me, when I hear a prayer like this, when I say a prayer like this, I'm moved. I'm moved to be down on my knees in that place of submission before God. And I can't explain what happens there, but there is something that happens when we do have that posture, that attitude of total submission to God that brings us closer to him. So how are we going to do this? I'm going to read this prayer through to you. I'm going to read it over you. But with each sentence, each, each paragraph of this prayer, once we get into it, there's like a, a phrase that starts it off. I'm going to step through each of these phrases so that you know what you're responding to. There's seven in total. And the first one says, I give you my understanding. The next one, I give you my will. The next one, I give you my affections. I give you my body. I give you all my worldly goods. I give you my credit and reputation. I give you myself and my all. So each of those phrases, when we get into it, starts off a paragraph. And what I'll do is repeat that phrase for you. So I'll say it the first time to give you the clue that I've said it. And then I'll say it again. And for you, if you want to respond to that, if you want to come into that place of submission before God, then you say it the second time with me. Does that make sense? So if we close our eyes now, the worship team are going to play in the background. And it's up to you how you respond in terms of your posture before God whether you sit that's fine whether you kneel that's fine whether you stand no one's looking everyone's got their eyes closed I'm going to read this prayer and I'll repeat those phrases when I get to them to you O God Father Son and Holy Spirit my creator redeemer and sanctifier I give up myself entirely may I no longer serve myself but you all the days of my life I give you my understanding I give you my understanding may it be my only care to know you your ways your works and your will let all things else be as refuse to me compared to the excellence of this knowledge and let me silence all those old voices against whatsoever you teach me who can neither deceive nor be deceived I give you my will I give you my will May I have no will of my own. Whatsoever you will, may I will, and that only. May I will your glory in all things as you do, and make that my end in everything. May I ever say with the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that desires other than you. May I delight to do your will. 
O God, and rejoice to accept it. Whatever threatens me, let me say, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And whatever happens to me, let me give thanks since it is your will concerning me. I give you my affections. I give you my affections. Dispose of them all. Be my love, my fear, my joy. And may nothing have any share in them except that for which is of you and for your sake. What you love, may I love. What you hate, may I hate. And that in such measure as you are pleased to prescribe for me. I give you my body. I give you my body. May I glorify you with it and preserve it wholly fit for you, O God, to dwell in. May I neither indulge it nor use too much rigour toward it, but keep it as far as it is in my control, healthy, vigorous and active, and fit to do you all manner of service that you shall call for. I give you all my worldly goods. I give you all my worldly goods. May I prize them and use them only for you. May I faithfully restore to you through the poor all you have entrusted me with above the necessities of life and be content to part with them too whenever you, my Lord, shall require them from my hands. I give you my credit and reputation. I give you my credit and reputation. May I never value it but only in respect of you nor endeavour to maintain it, but as it may do service and advance your honour in the world. I give you myself and my all. I give you myself and my all. Let me look upon myself to be nothing and to have nothing apart from you. Be the sole disposer and governor of myself and my all. Be my portion and my all. O my God and my all, when hereafter I shall be tempted to break this solemn engagement, when I shall be pressed to conform to the world and to the company and customs that surround me, may my answer be, I am not my own. I am not for myself, not for the world, but for my God. I will give unto God the things that are God's. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, I pray now. Lord, as we've gone through that prayer, more than that, Lord Jesus, that prayer has been prayed over us. More than that, parts of that prayer, we've said ourselves and submitted to you in that. Lord, may we see the outworking of that through our lives today and for the days to come, Lord Jesus. Whatever is your will, Lord, may we follow that in our lives. I pray that in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.